So, welcome to the second episode of Dean's Discussions, um, which is today we're joined with, by councillors Chris, Councillor Christopher McElhenney with uh, the Alpa Party and Councillor Ewan Blockley, who is with the Scottish Conservative Unionists. And with the May local government elections here in Scotland approaching, I thought it's a good opportunity to talk about local government issues, since there's a severe lack of it in the wider media. It's always national issues. We never talk about the bread and butter issues of local government. So today, what we're going to do is have a conversation, a discussion rather than a hostile debate about local government issues such as local government funding. How do we secure sustainable funding for local government rather than the problems that we've had over the going back decades? We'll also talk about top issues that we think are relevant to selection from bins to recycling services to fly tipping, litter poverty, drug addiction, blah, blah, blah. And also, we'll maybe speculate on some predictions for the elections as they occur in, on May, in May um, whether we think will there be any breakthroughs, any expectations to be managed, what the polls say, that kind of thing. So, okay. Now, we'll start with funding for local government. I'll provide some context for this before I go to my guests. The Accounts Commission found local government funding reduced, been reduced by 4.2% in real terms from 2013-14 to 2020-21, once you exclude COVID cash. At the same time, there is an increase in the amount of money that is now rent-fenced by central government in Holyrood, the Scottish government, for their priorities. Ring fencing means less financial freedom for local authorities, and that money is how it's spent is dictated centrally. Put this in context, the percentage of Glasgow City Council, since I live in Glasgow, City Council's net expenditure from 2020 to 2021, that was from central grants, was 81.3%. So, this is, however, not an unusual thing. It goes back all the way to 1996, where 5.3% was the statistic for 1996. It's always been over 3% the whole way through. So council tax actually covers quite a small proportion of local government funding. This increase of dependence on grant funding from central government, coupled with an SNP government imposing real terms cuts on local authorities, creates a financial situation which is increasingly evident with the people's complaints about poor public services at local levels, all these things. There's a reason for it. It's not because councillors are incompetent. It's because they are not actually in control of as much money as people think they are in terms of overall budgets especially when grant funding is increasingly conditional and ring-fenced. This means local governments are poorly placed to meet asymmetrical shocks, such as, say, health pandemic <laughs> or a drug death epidemic, addiction pr problems. The so Herald reported in 2021 that the Scottish Government has imposed £937 million in cuts that's almost one billion pounds over the last eight years. So the question becomes, how do we secure sustainable funding for local authorities? 
and that is a very important issue that never gets discussed nearly enough. It's been the downfall of many political parties and careers. I'm old enough to remember the poll tax, and that was once thought of as a good idea the Scottish Conservatives to head off the rate, and it turned into an even Alex Salmond came into power in 2007, promising to do away with the council tax, which was the successor to the community charge, the poll tax, and could not make it happen, and we're still stuck with the council tax. So it's been the bane of many the SNP, the Scottish Conservatives, the Liberal Democrats, everyone has talked at one point or another about getting rid of council tax and reforming finance, but it's never happened. So let's start with uh, Councillor Christopher McElhenney. Uh, I know you've thought about local government finance and alternatives to council tax before, and you're representing Alipa Party, led by Alex Salmond who once made the promise to abolish <laughs> council tax. So what are your thoughts about how to fix this crisis, which is what it is? Okay, a lot, a lot to take in there from your kind of reduction. <laughs> I suppose we need to go on a short memory recap. So, you know, in 2007, um, the Salmon government said it wanted to scrap council tax, but it couldn't secure a consensus. In, in the next part in, in that parliament um on what the solution should be and then the work started in the, the following uh, term of the parliament and in 2016 i think you know the, the solutions were published so you know the works you know when i hear people say we need to review we need to you know research the different options it's all been done it was all there it was all published in 2016 um and again it's about consensus you know there's no consensus for a land tax there's no consensus for a property tax um but you know there is a consensus that you know the council tax isn't for, for purpose um and, and and i think you know a lot of the solutions we've not started talking about them there you look at covid and the you know the, the sheer yield and profit from, from you know tech companies like amazon um and that does exacerbate a lot of the, the problems you get in high streets you know let's throw money at signage let's throw money at pavements but you know it doesn't really bring people and footfall into shops it's money in their pockets um and you know that doesn't actually then generate anything in terms of local taxation and um you know my own personal view is that we need to start you know looking at the, the, the world of the digital taxation um you know for for every for every transaction that happens online but there, there should be a a taxation on that for the the, the tech company that that goes to the, the local area that it's in and you know you know you think of like a small area like Inverclyde um I mean, you're, you're literally talking millions of digital transactions um you know <coughs> I, I don't think we're playing BBC rules but you know you think of Amazon you know like mm -hmm. you know the average person how many thousands you know of transactions and then um, and of course that money would have been spent in your high street which would uh employ local people you know, which would have sustained, you know, rates and rateable values, which would go to your local um, government, you know, you, you never see any of that money locally, whereas I think, you know, if you put on a 1% or a half a percent or a 2%, you know, whatever you agree on, and then in, in, in terms of local taxation, I think local authorities should themselves then have the power to determine within a, a scope what, what that level of taxation would be to, to raise a, a pretty you know, decent yield, because that's where the world's going. You know, it's not sustainable to say, well, you used to raise all this income 
um, locally that sustain local jobs, local butchers, you know, local bookshops. Now, you know, we're clearly moving whether you like it or not towards a model that it's a digital world and all these transactions are happening, but no one benefits other than, you know, international capital. I think that's, you know, Edinburgh SMP the other day talking about like playing about the edges, you know, a two pound tax on tourism and, um, you know, uh, you know, previously the SNP and Inverclyde were saying let's tax, you know, cruise passengers coming in, um, you know, perhaps prohibitive taxation that, you know, puts people off of, you know, you know, sack on there because they're astronomical, etc. I'll just go to Airbnb somewhere that doesn't charge me that. Um, whereas, you know, <laughs> repetitive small taxation, you know, you don't notice it. So, you know, if you spend, you know, thousands on, you know, eBay and Amazon and and whatever it is, right, you wouldn't notice those small 1%, 2% you know, levels of taxation, you know, 18 pence on that purchase, £1.50 on that purchase, £5 on that purchase. And I think that's, you know, a real area that we need to look at the legislation to give local authorities that level of taxation power. Um, you know, previously one of the unpopular things I propose is local authorities should have tax, you know, duty powers on, on alcohol, um, you know, the, the ability locally to put 5 pence on a pint or 10 pence on a spirit. And why would you want to do that? Because, well, if you know, you say Inverclyde, you've got a clear alcohol addiction issue, then, you know, well, you, you generate tax off of that that comes in and you do ring fence that for a specific purpose, um, as opposed to ring fencing in general, which, you know, th th there's a difference between the, the, the salmon and, and sturgeon mantra of being the two, you know, long mm. governments of devolution. It's, you know, when the SMB came in in 2007, the, the salmon government started breaking down the the Labour Liberal, you know, ring fence pots of money, freed up resources, had clear priorities, universalism, universalism was clearly the, you know, the, the mantra of the government and, you know, allowing local authorities through the historic concordat to get on and govern locally. And then obviously since um, 2014, at the end of that year, you know, you know, Nicola Sturgeon, she, 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 she you know, she is very Thatcherite in, in, in her outlook and that, you know, you, you strip back the budgets of local government, you know, you have the, the, you know, you then centrally, you know, dictate these are the priorities, you know, whether they're your priorities or not, I don't care, and you're paying for them. And then, you know, who gets to blame? It's local councils. I mean, that that's not sustainable. And and, and I suspect that at these elections, you'll find there, there won't be a massive change across Scotland in the results, but you will see, you know, the, the creep will begin of people realising that's no longer sustainable to, you know, you're blaming the council for the potholes, you're blaming the council for the schools, you're blaming the council for charging. But, you know, this is a council's budget because, as you say, you know, somewhere in the low 80 percent is what the block grant is, you know. Um, but on that point, I think that in Scotland we do have a very poor standard of councillor. Mm. And that, you know, is, you know, indicative of, you know, our relationship with local government. There's a ward in Inverclyde, mainland Scotland, <laughs> an urban environment that, you know, three people have been elected unopposed, you know, never in my life would have thought that to happened. And that, you know, speaks volumes for, you know, what people see as the value of actually getting a local government because it's not really local governance anymore. But I, I do think that, you know, if you look at the people that think, you know, you know the place to make change in society is on the back benches of Hollywood voting, you know, mind me your weekly whip sheet. Local <laughs> government, you can make a lot of difference, but I think that the biggest political party in Scottish politics is the officer corps. Mm -hmm. the, you know, here's here's your savings this year, councillor, and you know, here's your, uh, you know, you're you're relying on that information, which of course is accurate, but a lot of councils there's not enough leadership from councils to to challenge officers. Well, on on that point about um, leadership, and I'll come, I'll, I'll bring in uh, councillor uh, Ewan Blockley as in a, 
just one second. Uh, I, I'm struck when you were saying about the centralization instinct of the SNP, the almost Thatcherite language. I can't help but reflect here in Glasgow with uh, uh, our council leader, Susan Aitken, and uh, her infamous, to some famous <laughs> for, in other people's eyes, um, interview in the Herald where she talked about the need to end the old style socialism of Scottish Labour and the people should not expect the council to be there holding their hand as she defended cuts from central government onto Glasgow. And it could have come from someone 1980s conservative. I'm thinking, I could imagine the old Tory MP for Hillhead, the late Tam Galbraith, saying something like that is incredible. And that's from the SNP running Glasgow. And so there is a very curious position where, as a result of Nicola Sturgeon's decision to pass cuts off onto local government and have them have to deal with the political blowback, it's put some of the SNP council teams in an off position over the last eight years, and increasingly more so. Um, so, uh, Ewan, do you want to jump in on anything Councillor uh, Chris McLenny said? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think first and foremost, uh, as a councillor, um, I'm getting a bit of echo here, Chris. I think your mic might be echoing a wee bit. Aye. Um, so, you know, as a councillor, one of the most difficult processes that we go through is the budget process. And it was one of the stark things that I was almost thrown into immediately as a councillor um, in our first budget. And you're essentially presented with a bunch of options, as Chris rightly pointed out, presented with a bunch of options from council officers and are told essentially to pick and choose the least bad ones and hope and pray that the quality impact assessment and the other impact assessments aren't severe and that essentially we can pass off the cuts from the Scottish government in as minimal a way as possible. And then you've got other political parties essentially saying, well, we would cut this and we would cut that. The whole problem with all of this is the fact that local government, we all agree, the services we rely on and we use in local government are incredibly important, whether that be libraries, whether that be roads, whether that be pavements, whether that be our schools. So we all accept that local councils are very, very important to everything we do. And that means that therefore we need to fund them properly. And that's why, you know, the Scottish Conservatives outlined last year our promise of a Barnet formula for, for local government to ensure that councils are properly funded. I mean, in Glasgow, over the last five years, I remember a £50 million cut from our budget. I remember a £32 million cut. I think there was a £38 million cut one year. And it, it, at the end of the day, it, the services that we're now relying on, we're seeing that deterioration. We're seeing that deterioration in terms of our libraries being closed. We're seeing that deterioration in terms of the massive increases in council tax that we've had to do over the past five years, 16.8% the Labour Party have tried to put it up by 16.3% uh, from the SNP. I mean, that is unmanageable. We're talking about cost of living at the moment. You know, that is 16% that is no longer in the pay packets of those um, who were in the city five years ago. And then, of course, the spruce up comment and everything else, which was so disconnected from the lives of, of everyday Glaswegians. I mean, saying to us as councillors who receive casework, you know, so much casework about roads, pavements and bins. I've received numerous emails this morning about problems in my own ward about roads, pavements and bins. And then you've got the council leader saying on TV, nah, it just needs a wee spruce up, don't worry about it. You know, you're all being silly, you're all overreacting. I think more recently she said that we were talking Glasgow down, which I thought was funny. It's like, no, quite the contrary. We're, we're trying to talk Glasgow up by actually removing those that are causing these problems in the first place. So I won't 
say any more on that other than you know the chronic underfunding of local government has what? been seen you know it's it's been seen in my community you know we had the cooper institute that i and other campaigners had to stand outside for 36 <laughs> weeks and that community library has been serving the community of Kivkart for 100 years and it's only been recently now we've had an smp administration now we've had chronic underfunding from local government that it's not been possible to reopen the library and um, we finally got that money but the cooper institute next door the community facility is still closed and and that is the example and that is how it's being felt in communities right across scotland and right here in my own ward in glasgow so much more needs to be done and that's why we need a barnet formula and um, to properly fund local government dean ah a barnet formula so we've had um folk a barnet formula for local government um we've also heard about possible folk shift of focus onto digital a digital sales tax of set locally within so we've had a couple of positive solutions that could be a way forward and there's a general consensus that the Scottish National Party have not done as well as they could have done over the over recent years. I mean when we're thinking about actually about the issue of shifting on, on the shift changing habits shopping habits of as people shift online if we couple that with the impact of Covid like Christopher was saying, is simply sped up an inevitable shift. The, the old model where you have the high street shops, you tax the hell out of the, 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 the shops that want to rent out the commercial space and you raise money, that's not a sustainable model. So this also feeds into what we do with city centres as public spaces for and cities are going to have to deal with that. And that's an, this none of this really gets addressed sufficiently uh, yeah so that's i think we're agreed <laughs> on the negative impacts of um local authorities being cut um, in terms of their funding we've had some positive ideas but that brings us to the top issues for the local elections now i know for a fact um from feedback i get whether, whether i'm writing for think scotland or for the Substack, a lot of people complain to me that there's not enough not enough ink spent talking about local government issues. So like we mentioned there, bins, recycling, fly tipping here in Glasgow has been a big problem. Um, someone reminded me just the other day, a colleague at Think Scotland reminded me of, uh, not to bash on her again, but Susan Aitken's comments about every city has rats so it's not a problem <laughs> and she said that to the Scottish uh, Affairs Committee <laughs> which I was flabbergasted by because every city while it's whilst it's true every city has rats not every city is like Glasgow which is the fourth largest rat population in the country <laughs> as, and I mean the UK as a whole so it's quite a different kettle of fish so fly tipping has definitely been part of it but also we're talking about poverty ingrained poverty Food insecurity is rising and was since before the pandemic. We're talking about the falling living standards, life expectancy here in Glasgow, um, three miles down the road, life expectancy, in fact, not even there, just the other side of the park from where I live, life expectancy drops, I think it's 7.5 years from where I live. That's across the road. That's a completely different world. And you have the most unbelievably ingrained poverty in in Scotland and so much of the work that can be done to improve it is done locally whether it's drug and rehabilitation services for addiction and all of that has been hit very hard 
um, due to stresses from the pandemic and also savings, i.e. cuts that have been imposed. So yeah, let's think about some of the top issues. You, you're both candidates, so I'm sure you're pressing the flesh, trying to win your votes. So why don't you talk to me about the top issues that strike you on this, this election? Because I'm assuming it's the ones I've mentioned already, but you might have other issues coming up. So well, let's start with Ewan. Uh, yeah, thanks very much, Dean. Um, in, in terms of the biggest issues, yeah, I mean, the, the typical issues I think are associated with any council election, so roads, pavement, schools, hospitals, kind of usual stuff, or in terms of what the council has jurisdiction over. Um, I think the biggest issue to come out of this election, other than that, has been the over-encompassing thought and belief that Glasgow is a mess. Right. I mean, that is something when I speak to people on the doorstep, it doesn't matter whether they're SNP, they're green, they vote for independence, they're against, they remain, they're leave, wherever they are on the political spectrum. We all agree that the city's a mess. Right. It's an absolute tip. It's a cope. Um, and really much more needs to be done. Um, various political parties are now talking about doing stuff and they're really kind of been doing it as the election has started. Um, in comparison to us who have been speaking about the cleansing crisis for over a year and longer now. Um, I think the bulk uplift charge, free weekly bin collections, cuts to the cleansing staff, all of these things are being spoken about on the doorstep and how the city is, is really a mess and needs to be cleaned up. I think the rises in council tax have come up as well on the doorstep. I, I'm trying to think about various conversations I've had that don't breach GDPR, and I can actually mention <laughs> <laughs> So not specific cases, but the, the, that is the kind of general feeling at the moment on the doorstep. And I think there's also the belief, I think, and people that we've spoken to who have looked at 35 years of uninterrupted labour rule, they've looked at how they've treated the city and how they've managed it over that period of time and they've said, right, well, they didn't do a good job at it. We've now given the SNP five years in Susan Aitken. They've not done a good job at it. And I think some people are just looking for something new, something fresh that they feel is somehow different from how Glasgow, hearing, I can only, only obviously speak from, from experience here in Glasgow, but how things have always been done, whether it be SNP or Labour. And I think some people, to us anyway, are, um, are telling us that, that they're considering voting for us for the first time, um, which is always a delight to hear. I'm sure Chris will agree. It's a delight to hear on the doorstep when people say that they wouldn't maybe traditionally vote for you, but they're willing to give you a shot at this election. So that's what we've been hearing. On top of the national issues, of course, that, that come yeah. into it as well. But as a local election, and as a local councillor, I'm always very keen to talk about the local stuff because, as you rightly pointed out, Dean, they don't get enough coverage. The bins are not the sexiest thing in the world to be on the front page, but by God, they're important. Um, and, and it's very important that we get that right. So well, that's why I've got... Yeah, go on, Dean. Sorry, um, you mentioned um, council tax and I think you mentioned it went going up 16%. Mm -hmm. One, if one was being unkind, um, might say this might be the fault of the SNP and the Conservatives because they're the parties that froze the council tax, which contributes to the nearly one billion pounds of cuts over eight years. Someone might suggest that there's a little bit of responsibility that the Scottish Conservatives have for some of this. I, I mean, I think that's in terms of council tax freezes, we've proposed um, numerous council tax freezes over the over the past five years because we strongly believe that Glaswegians spend their money better than the council do. And I think you only have to look at the egregious waste of council money to see that the council generally don't spend money too well. And we would much rather that be in the pay packets of 
of people across the city. Um, I don't think that would be the, I, I, to me personally, I wouldn't put that as the reason for chronic underfunding. I think that simply comes from the fact that the Scottish government have treated councillors and council chambers as brokers for Scottish government cuts. And that's actually something that Councillor Matt Kerr said um, in the chamber, and it's always stuck with me because it's 100% true. That's how we feel at, at budget time. We're given a small pot of money and we're told essentially, cut as little as you can, um, and hope for the best. And and I don't think that's what local government should be. I, sh I think it should be a, a discussion about where we should invest and where's best to, to improve and where we should move things forward. That's why I got involved in politics at 19. I didn't get involved in politics at a very young age so that I could essentially you know, for the last, like for three weeks, be locked in a room with my conservative colleagues as we're sweating about what not to cut and, and hoping that we can make the numbers add up because ultimately, of course, budgets need to be balanced and you can't put forward a negative budget. So, you know, when I got into politics, I never thought I would be sitting around, a, you know, a table in the city chamber sweating about three weekly bin collections and bulk uplift charge. I never thought we would be here. And the fact that we are is a, is a damning indictment on the SNP government. Um. Councillor Christopher, do you want to jump in? Yeah, thanks. I mean, you and just on your point there, I, I get involved in politics because somebody told me it was show business for ugly people. <laughs> uh, so there you are. But you know, I mean, a lot of I blame getting passed right. about. But you know, I mean, let, let, let's reflect on the reason Taggart was filmed in Glasgow was because of you know the, the abject failure of social policies in the nineteen eighties. So. You know, probably, probably, you know, one of the messages you pick up on on the doorstep more now than ever is people are fed up with the pass the parcel of blame. You know, um, it's the SNP's fault, it's the Labour Party's fault, it's you know, it's the, the the Tories' fault. But you know, the reality is, if you want to pursue the argument that the Scottish government chronically undervalues, I would agree, local government and underfunds local government. You know, there isn't a there's not a cupboard. You know, at Butte House or St Andrews House. Or the Scottish Parliament full of money that just doesn't get spent, right? I know there's underspends annually, and because of big numbers and our, you know, if you're not a Euro Millions winner, you know, three and four hundred million pound are, are big numbers that get handed over one year to the next. But you know, in, in the context of 40, 50, 60 billion pound of budget, they're no big numbers. And um, you know, so all, all the money's allocated and you know, local government, particularly COSLA, you know, it's, it's, it's always very shy to say, well, you know, give us another billion pound. And here's where you should take it from. Strip the police budget, strip the NHS budget, you know, strip the capital expenditure budget. Um, and again, you know, certain press outs, outlets will highlight, you know, where they think money's been wasted, you know, on, you know, overseas, um, you know, many consulates, et cetera, which I think, you know, just a good idea, actually, you know, promoting Scottish trade and investment in other cities. But again, small numbers in the grand scheme of a big budget, right? So, you know, it's sensationalist and it's not actually the answer but again it has choices and i just think you know fundamentally there's there is a there's a breakdown in, in in governance um across the uk you know everyone in scotland has three governments no one would probably think that but you know you've got your local government you've got your scottish government and you've got the uk government um, and i'm not going to shy away from the fact that you know i'm a nationalist and i believe in independence because i just don't think um, for a, a governance position, I just don't think spheres of government work from having one government in London, which dictates to one government in Scotland what their allocation and resources should be, then naturally that government in Scotland is going to dictate to 32 governments what their allocation of resources should be. Because, you know, if you don't have the full control of the, the, the whole envelope, you know, for example, we talk about, you know, 
underfunding in Glasgow. Well, you know, I don't think we should have weapons of mass destruction in Scotland. And people say, well, what's the relevance to that to a local election? Well, it's, you know, it's 200,000 million pound over the next 30 years that, you know, you had the choice to say we don't want that. There's 37 million odd quid a year extra you could put into Glasgow City Council's budget to spend on schools and investment and on roads, etc. So, although, I mean, and that to me highlights the, the difficulty you've got in that, the, the brokers um, line that you and used is, is, is to an extent correct because although you're in charge of you know hundreds of millions of pounds in allocating the expenditure of that local government has zero ability to make the wider choices on what would actually create more funding you know we, we can't make the economic you know we can make you know you know, we'll, we'll, we'll subsidise apprentices, we'll subsidise, you know, if you take on graduates, you know, we'll, 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 we'll lower rates in certain areas, but of course if you lower rates it comes out of your budget, you know, so you're given the power without the funding, so, you know, of course you could go, right, that whole, you know, factory site should, shouldn't pay rates, but that loses £500,000 a year, the Scottish government never gave us any funding and we don't have any borrowing powers, you know, but, you know, councils, ironically, some of them have got better borrowing powers than the Scottish government, but, you know, I, I just think that's, you know, that's the fundamental issue that this election, you know, what's what's the issues on the street? You know, sixty five or sixty percent of the population only going to bother voting. You know, you know, that that for me is, is the real alarm bell for every political party and that you just as I say, you know, people getting elected unopposed, it's a travesty for democracy. Um and, you know, as I say, the important the important issue is if you're a council official, God bless them, you you know, you you're an employee with a set remit. And you're going to just do your job. You never get voted in or out. And path path least resistance does develop, right? So if we end up, you know, we're already there, I think, right? But if we end up continuing to go towards a system that you basically got, as you and says, people that come in on day one, you know, wet behind the ears, they don't understand budgets, it's all new to them. So they're spending the first five years actually, you know, by the time they're up for re-election, understanding capital and resource and revenue funding and prudential borrowing and all of that. Added to that, and not being ageist, you know, a, a you know, a, a completely disproportionate amount of retired old men um, that <laughs> stack up your council chambers. You know, if, if you were a, you know, a housing association which you know has to comply with all these, you know, issues with the with the, the, the regulator, you'd be asking serious questions of governance. Like, well, hold on a minute, you know, who's holding your chief executives to account? Who's holding these heads of services to account? Because you know. Our local government is very strange in Scotland. You know, we're committee systems, a couple of the cabinet system, you know, this the, the the ability to actually hold officials to account is now, you know, it's increasingly seen as something you get I mean that's I get reported to the Standards uh, Commission, you know, four weeks before the election in twenty seventeen for, for asking difficult questions of officers, you know what I mean? And then of course, you know, a few months after the election no case to answer, but you know it's it's increasingly difficult to scrutinise because the system just doesn't work. You know, you scrutinise officials in a public environment. You know, the lack of scrutiny is um, a problem that's rampant across the whole of Scottish politics right now. Um, we won't dwell on too many of those examples, but we know what the kind of things I'm referencing are. Whether it was the so-called Salmond inquiry, which was mis misnamed <laughs> it, you know it was really an inquiry into the scottish government's mishandling of the whole process surrounding that that demonstrated a complete aversion to accountability from at the top levels of the civil service in scotland and the prosecutor's office i mean this, the crown office 
we're in a position where the Crown Office has admitted to, what was it? Three over thirty. They paid out over thirty million pounds for um, wrongful prosecution of innocent people. It's, it's an, unbelievable, and there's no accountability for the heads of the. the in fact, the, the the then Lord Advocate at the time, uh, Mulholland, he retired to becoming a High Court justice. So he actually got a promotion out of losing thirty million pounds through botched investigations no accountability there whether it's the head of the civil service whether it's at local government level this, there is a complete lack of transparency accountability across the board i would say in our political culture um i will just come on back on christopher two things christopher said that i can't like i think it's worth noting on in relation to the trident issue it's a real issue um a lot of passions get aroused by it but I would point out um, gently that every time the SNP or Aliper or anyone says get rid of Trident, Jackie Bailey wins re-election by saying over my dead body <laughs> because it's worth a lot of jobs for her community. It's very important. It's like the military bases. It's the communities that have them really like them because they benefit locally to the economy. So it's just a sort of side point. And on you mentioned the innovation and development hubs, the, so the Scottish government's overseas arms for trade. I agree it's important to do it and it's worth doing. Although I can't help but notice that when you have the innovation and development hubs costing well, over £7 million pounds and you have doing the same job that should be done by the Scottish Development in International arm, you've got replication. There's replication going on. You've got a number of the Scottish government arms doing apparently the same thing which smacks of let's have a proto embassy network around the world <laughs> but we're not here to talk about the constitutional issue i just point gently pointing that out so that brings us neatly and on time to the idea oh actually before that i wanted to make a point on poverty if we could local government and poverty one of the things that both of you have talked about is how to solve the cost of living crisis. Uh, Ewan talked about give it, putting more money back into the hands of taxpayers by taxing them less. Uh, Christopher's talked about the, the importance of um, universality um, in terms of the social security system, et cetera, which raises an interesting point as an aside. To what extent should a lot of these pub social security uh, benefits and services entitlements be universalized? Because when you talk about say free school meals, well, poor, the poorest household, their children already had free school meals. So what we're really talking about is allowing the middle class and the upper class to get them too. That's not really addressing the underlying problems of poverty, of inequalities. And it also, again, reduces the amount of money overall that could be targeted better. Um, so on the idea of universality of social security spending and, and as a principle in of itself universality versus means testing there's an interesting debate to be had because means testing is actually quite an expensive thing to do because it has to be enforced so it's not that straightforward but i was interesting you and as the scottish conservative where do you and your party sit on means testing versus universalization of spend tax spending taxpayers money so in terms of speaking on behalf of my party, um, I'm unsure in, in terms of the, the technicalities. I can only give my own view on it. 
Um, now, I remember at the time when free prescription fees were introduced, and I remember that there was an argument and a debate at the time about the fact that it should be means tested. And I remember getting very caught up in that argument at a very young age. I think it was in modern studies, actually. I think we were discussing it. That's shown my age there. Um, and I remember we were having that conversation. I think it ended up that means testing it would have cost more money if we'd kept it universal. And so therefore, if it saves the taxpayer money by keeping it universal, um, then that's OK with me. I mean, that ultimately it's about, you know, I'm, I'm fiscally conservative, socially liberal. So I want to make sure that things are balanced properly and that we're not overly spending money or spending money that we shouldn't be or egregiously over overspending. Um, but if it works out that it's cheaper for the taxpayer and that more people benefit, then I've never had an issue with that. Um, I think yeah, means I think testing in theory always makes sense. You think, well, yes, it should be targeted naturally to those that need it and those that don't shouldn't be able to, to claim. But if it ends up that it's actually cheaper, and I know there's been a lot of studies and, and papers done by this. I know you, you know that, Dean. Um, but, but I think it's fascinating and certainly a debate that needs to, to take place um, for sure. But I, I, the only example I can remember was prescription fees. And I remember the report coming out that it would have actually cost more money to set up the almost the checks that would have been needed rather mm -hmm. than actually just giving them out universal at, at, at free at, at point of delivery. Um, yeah, I was I, I was just interested in what the, a Conservative would say about it, because one thing that I would note is, um, according to the Scottish Fiscal Commission report in December last year, they they pointed out that by 2026 Scotland will be spending over 700 over 700 million pounds more on social security spending than we get with the block grant adjustment. At the same time, by the same period, the same year 2026, amount of money raised by income tax revenue projections will fall by over 300 million. Which means, how are we paying for any of this? We might have to start thinking about cutting down on the universalisation mentality, which is very popular in Scotland, but that would be very difficult politically. Well, I mean, anyway. Dean, Dean, just coming in quickly on that, I mean, that was a point I remember that was raised in 2017 or 18. It was Murdo Fraser was standing in the chamber and, it, and he explained the Laffer curve um, to, at that time, Derek Mackay, the finance secretary, and said, if you increase council tax to a level that's above essentially the sweet spot, then you'll end up bringing in less revenue. We know you want to look progressive. We know you want to look like you're taxing the rich and you're going after those with a lot of wealth, but you'll end up actually raising less revenue in the long term. Uh, of course, Scottish government didn't listen. And what has happened is exactly what you've just said, Dean. We're bringing in less money in income tax each year. So it's actually the Scottish Treasury that are losing out as a result of what was a party political stunt really to increase taxes and try to pretend to be more progressive when ended up what happened was we've got less money to spend on public services and do, do you would you consider council tax being above the sweet spot right now and in, in terms of glasgow yeah absolutely i mean when you've got the cost of living crisis that that's that's really starting to bite and at the same time you're saying to glaswegians we're going to continue a bulk up left charge. We're going to continue our three weekly bin collection and we're going to continue to tax you more. I mean, Glasgow at one point was the second highest council tax in the whole of Scotland. And and, and I believe it's slightly dipped below that because I, because of the numbers, but we're still incredibly high. I mean, six, you've got to think about that, 16.3% over five years. I mean, that is a huge chunk of money that's coming out of people's pockets that they wouldn't otherwise have. So yeah, of course, and that's the best way really to, to, to get money back into people's pockets by freezing their tax. And that's why we obviously proposed a, a council tax freeze in this year's budget. Excellent. Um, Christopher, do you want to come in on anything or will we move on to the last topic? 
Yeah, I mean, just I mean, on the point of universalism, I mean, free scale meals is just a, a no-brainer for me. You know, you'll save £340 per child. Um, so you'll £340 in your pocket, roughly, per child with a free scale meals policy. Um, but it, it won't cost the local government or the Scottish government £340 to put that £340 in someone's pocket. Because, you know, I want universal free scale meals for high school kids. There's models in Japan, you know, that, you know, you bring... You could bring the, the best Scottish culinary chefs in, you know, embed it in the curriculum, you know, older children, um, young people, you know, learn how to cook, you know, they're making their food themselves, um, you know, you're involving younger children. So, you know, nowhere near the cost of primary school meals itself. But, you know, so say roughly, you know, say you're losing about £150 of income um, from school meals to, you know, they then put that 340 quid in a family's pocket and then it's, it's the same with primary school kids but then again it goes back to that point that you know, people don't keep money in, in drawers anymore so you know all those 340 quids a year you're putting into family's pockets per child you know that's what sustains your local your local economies and, and you know everything's interconnected at a local level you know where you've got quality you know shops and cafes which incidentally a big issue we've got in Scotland is the the, the government's policy directive to try and get our cities back up and running again but actually you know if you come to towns like Gourock or go to a lot of your your central belt commuting areas they've never thrived better because I work from home you know new cafes have been opening they're booming with trade because whereas you know say 5,000 people used to commute out of a town every day they're now in that town and they now they're saving money so they're now going and eating out at lunchtime every day so I mean, that's an issue actually you know it's probably you know a topic in its own but you know for Glasgow again or Edinburgh again again their city footprints towns will suffer and you know that's one that you know it's, it's going to be hard to, to, to tie up so so again for me universalism make, makes sense and, and it's not about means test in other areas so for example as part of the Inverclyde budget this year you know everyone that gets council tax reduction in Inverclyde will get a £500 payment this month that's £150 from the Scottish Government and £350 that we used from you know free reserves i.e money that's unallocated which does show you the choices you've got local government because you know glasgow never did that because you know that that wasn't a priority for their administration but you know that that's a really simple process because how is it simple because you're sending out council tax bills every year anyway you've got all the data you know who's on council tax reduction it's a simple case of just transferring the money to their bank accounts or credit in their council tax accounts so you know really simple ways like that you can target results into people that do need it the most but again, that then asks the question of, well, you know, what am I getting from a, you know, £4,000 a year council tax? And that's why I think, you know, you've got to have an offering for everyone in society because the reason we've got poverty in society, to be frank, is because we've never went, that's it, middle-class voters, up-class voters, we're going to shaft you completely because we're going to target all our resources into this one sector, right? Because, you know, that's it's not going to work because people will, I'm voting you out, right? But, so you've got to bring everyone with you. And, and that's, you know, probably one of the, the tougher challenges, you know, balancing your resources, you know, because you need to, particularly, you know, pensioners, should they get universal free entitlement to, say, swimming, which I want to reinstate um, in Inverclyde. Uh, we used to have it, the Labour administration done away with it. Again, people would say, well, why do they need that? Well, you know, coronavirus taught us actually, you know, if you keep people healthier, it actually stops the burden on the NHS. One of our other policies, universal entitlement to sports facility access for um, under-18s, again, you know, cost £250 million across Scotland, and people say, oh, another magic monetary policy, but obesity costs productivity between £600 million and £2.9 billion. 
Never and, mind the, the impact on the NHS. So this is, I think, the point of, you know, local decision makers understand the needs of their communities best, you know, and if you had the resource to target these policies, you know, it, it then saves the NHS money, but there's a lack of, you know, we're still, even though we're getting integrated joint boards, we're operating so many silos in Scotland, you know, for example, you have a police force, you know, that are charged. Let's, let's give you one example before we move on. Shared services, right? Councils across Scotland always try to share services amongst each other. They don't actually share any services within the local authority area. You know, you'll have one electrician ch changing the light bulb and the lamppost in the police car park, another doing it in the hospital. Another, so we don't even share services amongst ourselves. And if we don't share services, we obviously... We, we claim we share outcomes, but we don't share the responsibility for delivering the outcomes. You know, you'll you bring all your partners together, but nine times out of ten, it'll, the, the, the responsibility will fall on the council. You know, antisocial behaviour, that will fall on you. Crime will fall on you. Vandalism will fall on you. Health inequality, you know. No one is accountable in these, back to your point. You know, who's accountable in the police? Who's accountable in the health board? Who's, a, who's accountable in all these public agencies that report to Scotland, CMAR, in my part of the world? The yeah. report of Scottish Government ministers, and by the time you get up to that level, you know, nobody really cares about the local issue that was the issue in the first place, because at that level, nobody cares. And, you know, again, as I say, we're, we're moving on to, you know, other topics. You know, it just shows you about COVID does the, you've not been speaking to people about politics <laughs> <laughs> long, gone all day. But yeah, um, um, all I'd mention uh, briefly is, um, you're correct about productivity in Scotland, um, the CBI KPMG 2019 report. Um, showed that we'd been productivity stagnant for 15 years. Um, guarantee that picture has not improved, so make that 17 years now. And that's absolutely devastating for the Scottish economy more widely. So you're correct about the chronic lack of productivity and the need to imaginatively rethink how we, the work-life balance, personal health, the whole thing needs to be rethought. And perhaps COVID has, is a big opportunity. A lot of people have started thinking, well, actually, I can work from home three days of the week and go into the office two days. And there's all kinds of rethinking the work-life balance. And also in terms of, I can't resist, a quick comment on the whole ferry fiasco. I remember writing a piece with the help of a source, um, which pointed out to me, and it actually made me think, how is it possible that nothing is written down in the Scottish civil service at that level? Because it's all about risk of avoiding risk and covering your own rear end. Everyone's copied in and CC'd into every email chain. And you know, well, remember, remember we, we learned uh, last year or the year before that the permanent secretary Les Levins periodically destroyed our, 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 bo our books and our notebooks so that everybody. <laughs> It's absolutely extraordinary. And of course, the per the people I would like to talk to is one, Leslie Evans, um, and also the the, the the then finance director, was it General Director General of Finance, Alison Stafford. And she's still in a very senior position in the Scottish Civil Service. So I'd like to know what she has. And of course, we now know that the bosses at Ferguson were stopped, prevented from speaking to the Auditor General through the non-disclosure agreements, which means there could actually be quite a lot of evidence out there that has just been withheld. But we're not talking about the very fiasco. I just think it is topical and it is, it's, it's an election time. People will think about it. And it's something that will roll and roll. Maybe it will be overtaken by events like the Gupta smelter fiasco. That could be the next shoe to drop at five, 586 million. So yeah, 
let's move on though. But we're almost finished. So let's think about very briefly expectations going forward. Now, 2017, SMP March 2017, they're polling at 46%. By May 2017, they get only 32.4% of the vote, first preference, because of course it's a single transferable vote system. You num one, number one, two, three, your candidates. Now this is partly low turnout, partly at the time, the SNP were in a position where they were in local government at a time where there was a strong blowback from the voters against Indie Ref 2 in a second independence referendum. And that seemed to cut against the SNP at the time. And they, they underperformed. So 2017 was actually one of the worst years for the SNP since they became the dominant party. By all rights, they should be doing better. But when we look at the polling, the SNP are March 2022, 44%, which is less than the 46% comparative time period uh, last time they were fought. So who knows what will happen there. Um, in terms of the Scottish Labour Party, they're polling um, ahead of the Scottish Conservatives. Um, their best is second place in the polling for Westminster and Holyrood since 2015 and 2016. So that's quite a, an extraordinary boost. Perhaps it's the Anas Sarwar effect. He certainly, favourability scores, comes very close to meeting the First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon. But the Scottish Conservatives in 2017, potentially a high watermark, perhaps it's about like the last Holyrood election, holding on to the gains secured last time. So solidifying a social vote base that's been recovered. So, and you've got the Alipa party, they're new, um, with they have councillors that they're defending uh, who want to get re-elected for the, and of course the Alipa party have more party members than the Scottish Lib Dems. So we're, you know, it's, there's a grassroots organisation that the party has, although polling, it's one or two percent. It's, But you just don't know with single transferable what will happen. But the overall picture is an interesting one because you will have some very unusual regional disparities as well. Um, Aberdeen City Council, Scottish Labour will likely get hurt because of the problems they had with their councillors. They were expelled and then were brought back in. We don't know what will happen there. In terms of Glasgow City Council, you get the sensation um, that the SNP are on the defensive very badly. You can feel the negative campaigning is rife. It's all about the politics of the negative prospectus. And when you look at the polling, it's not as good as it was last time these were fought for the SNP going in. And turnout is likely to be quite depressed, which will hurt the SNP because I doubt there's not a lot of energy or reasons for voting SNP. But you know, we'll see what happens. Let's start with expectations. Ewan, are the Scottish Conservatives on the defensive and looking to hold on to their games? <laughs> Um, no, I, I, look, I don't think so. And I think that's probably not going to surprise you. Um, I think in Glasgow, you're entirely right. I think the SNP are running a defensive campaign. I think when the only thing they have in their party political broadcast is talking about Boris Johnson and the Tories, when uh, uh, the decisions that are being made, for example, here in Glasgow, in terms of local politics, have got nothing to do with Boris Johnson or the Conservatives. We haven't been in power in Glasgow since I think, 1979. 
Um, <laughs> so the idea that we are somehow responsible for the decisions that have been taken is is remarkable. And I think if people obviously looked at our voting record, they would see whether it be bulk uplift charges, a free bin collections, they'd see that we'd been on their side on that. I think the resurgence of Labour is overblown. I think every election, um, I remember in 2021, about the Sarwar boost, and I thoroughly enjoyed watching him dance and jig around, for sure. I think he's definitely got the moves when it comes to that. But when it comes to politics, I think it is overblown. I think ultimately, I think Labour have have done this in consecutive elections. They said that last time we would go to third place, there was going to be the fight over second place, and it just ended up, we ended up putting 100,000 votes on the last time. Now, that's not to say we're taking any votes for granted. Of course, we're not. You can see I'm wearing a hoodie today. That's because I've been out campaigning this morning and this afternoon. And I'll be back out after after um, I've finished with this because we aren't taking any votes for granted. You, you put your hood up so that no one notices you're a Tory. <laughs> unfortunately, unfor- unfortunately, um, being the councillor for the past five years, I do I, I get noticed quite a lot. Sometimes good reactions, sometimes not. Uh, I take the I take the rough with the smooth. And being a Glasgow Conservative, you get quite your state, Chris, <laughs> for sure. But no, I mean, I, so I think the Labour prediction's been overblown. I think the SNP are running a defensive campaign for sure. I think when you write a PPB and they all, all you've got is negative campaigning, I think goes to show your record isn't particularly strong. I had the unfortunate privilege of reading the SNP manifesto for these council elections in Glasgow. And I read many of their promises were completely recycled from 2017. We had both manifestos and we were looking through them. You know, the extension of the East End subway, one million pounds per ward. We're going to have all this money for cleansing. And it just didn't happen in 2017. And it's not going to happen in 2022. And an anecdote I'll tell you is my brother is a big nationalist, right? Big, big, big SNP. You can really feel sorry for my mum having to put up with the two of us in the same house, right? Christmas is always good fun. But when the two of us, I, I had a conversation with my brother who's voted SNP in every election, including against me in our own constituency. He didn't vote for his own brother, goodness me. And I said to him, how are you planning on voting in this election? And he said, well, I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I'm going to vote for the SNP for the first time. I don't know if I can do it. And I was obviously like, oh, my goodness. Yes, finally. Right. Has the penny dropped on independence or anything else? He said, no. He said, how could I vote for Susan Aitken? How in a council election could I vote? go and vote for an incompetent administration that I know is failing the city. Um, you know, so I think the shine of Nicola Sturgeon that maybe brought people to vote SNP in 2021, 2016, people that are maybe quite enamoured by by Miss Sturgeon, I obviously can't see that, but some people do, definitely, and it's been shown in the polls. Susan Aitken does not have that same uh, at draw at all. I mean, I've heard numerous times on the doorstep people mentioning the council leader to me and saying that's a reason why they're going to get out and vote. So hopefully that's reflected in May and we don't have another five years of, of Susan Aitken and the SNP. But I think the, so to conclude, I think Labour are, I think they are overblowing their position. I think we are about where we were, if not slightly making gains. We've seen that in by-elections. I think the SNP are running a, a defensive campaign. And in Glasgow, the Lib Dems and Alba really, or Alaba, are, aren't really in contention. And and the Greens obviously will do whatever the SNP want and will feed off the second preferences, as they always do. Um, yeah. So there'll be no change there. But in conclusion, it's very difficult to tell, Dean. And it's actually a very naughty question of you to ask, um, because as a politician, we're always told, don't give predictions. So I have broken that on your yeah. podcast here. So you're saying eight, eight Conservative councillors last time. Well, 
Glasgow. No, you're no, 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 no. I, I don't. I don't give numbers, Dean. That's very naughty of you. I'm not going to give you a number. I'm afraid. Yeah, okay, fair enough. You think you think the. You tried. You tried. I tried. Though. I tried. <laughs> yes, it's my job <laughs> to try and get you to say something. Uh, that'll be the headline. Scott Deputy Tory Glasgow leader says gains <laughs> expected, uh, but no. Uh, on the point of favourabilities. Um, Nicholas Sturgeon's personal popularity is overblown. Uh, if you look at the Savannah Comrades Scotland tr- Scottish politics trackers, uh, December 2020, peak of her popularity handling COVID, plus net plus 28. Now it's a plus 12. So over 14 months, it's completely collapsed down back down to earth. And it continues to s- sort of stagnate and slide. And so that the, I suppose the old, the old, the way I put it is this. For the Scottish Conservatives, they're a party with a high high floor but a low ceiling, as in the party's vote won't drop much further than about 20 to 25 percent. It seems to be the resurgent unionist vote core, but trying to get above 30 percent is very, very, very challenging. So it's a sort of high floor, low ceiling problem, whereas the Scottish Labour Party have a very low floor but a very high ceiling. They can go, if they get it right, they can go very, they can win back a lot of support. Um, they can easily get 30 or 40% one day again if they got their act together as a party. But of course, get it wrong and it's oblivion because there are alternative centre-left parties. So it's two different pro- challenges there. For Alipa, it's a bit different. Um, a party with something to prove, Christopher. Yeah, I, I think nationally you, you, you won't see much difference in the 2017 vote, same as the Scottish Parliament uh, scenario. I think the SNP will be the largest party, but I think they'll certainly drop down below 400. Um, I think the Conservatives will stay the, the second largest party. Um, I think in Glasgow, though, because, you know, from what I hear is Anna Sarwar's thrown the kitchen sink of resource at mm-hmm. Glasgow. So, you know, I think they may well, I mean, their strategy is, doesn't it matter if we get a bad result across Scotland, that we can say we've made some gains and we can prove that we can win again in Glasgow. They'll, they'll spin that as a story of their election. So, you know, I don't know if that will be good or bad for Ewan, but it is good to know that his brother's going to vote Alibaba. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I think this will be another, um, you know, total step towards a blubbing for the Lib Dems. I mean, you know, a party that ran under Clyde Council as, as recently as 2007, and in this election, they're only standing five, five candidates, I think. And under Clyde, so you know, pretty pretty amazing to think, you know, you know, there wasn't really a conservative vote in under Clyde that was, you know, liberal was how conservatives voted in under Clyde for eighty years. So it's been quite interesting the demise of that party in such a short amount of time. I don't think the Greens will get a major boost um, at all in this election. I think they'll, you know, I think they'll be broadly similar to where they were in twenty seventeen. And you know, for us, it's you know, it's about registering, you know, mm-hmm. one worth worth four seats um, and. You know, I think we've got a pretty decent chance because um, strip strip the election back to what it is. You know, it's a local election. We've got local candidates, many of them, you know, with you know prolific track records of ten years. You know, one of our candidates in Aberdeenshire has been a councillor there for some like Scotland's longest councillor since 1983. You know, so it's. Um, I think it's quite uh, hubris to write off people with that sort of relationship with, with voters. Mm-hmm. They've been re-elected, um, certainly when times weren't great for the SNP as well. You know, they were getting elected that suddenly now they, 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 their local uh, 
punters will, will turn on them. Um, so you know, so I, I, I'm confident that, that, that we'll get a good showing. And I think one of the important differences that Poland doesn't capture is we're standing actual candidates in this election. So the difference of having actual people coming to your doors with actual leaflets promoting your name and putting a face to that compared to what didn't obviously work last year of just being a regional list party, but then, you know, having zero infrastructure in terms of, you know, no candidates saying, please vote for my party, then please vote for this on the list. It, it, it will be different. And as for the poll you quote, I, I don't think it's worth the papers written on. I leap my heart of independence only get 1% um, across Scotland, considering they get 10% on last year. Um, my word, the independent got 52%, I think. But yeah. you know, granted, they don't stand in you know every ward, but there's no way it only going to be 1%. It doesn't I mean <laughs> you just need to look at the the, the, the one about your, your preferences, you know, the fact that the Labour Party were up at you know 56% or something like that alongside the SNP. It's to me that seems that like that question shouldn't have pass go, um, because I don't think it's, it's 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 managed to get any meaningful data, and the point you made yourself, you know, the SNP, um, in twenty eleven, you know, historic majority, only won two majorities in the local government elections in twenty twelve, record number of votes ever in the Scottish Parliament in twenty sixteen, only retained fifty nine percent of them in twenty seventeen. Just shows you that local government elections are completely different. But as I say, you know. The SNP will lose seats. They'll come, un come under 400. Still be the largest party. You know, the Conservatives, I think, will be second. Um, but sadly for you, and you know, I, I expect the Conservatives to go backwards in Glasgow and Labour to maybe win some more seats here. Purely just because uh, it seems to me to be the only place in Scotland Labour are focused on the campaign, um, which, uh, you know, should I, I think you know get them some results um so we'll see we'll see we'll come back on in the, the seventh of may <laughs> yeah. and we'll see, yeah absolutely and we'll see what's what so um i will avoid giving any predictions myself except to see i expect turnout to be as bad as it always is at local government i would i would take 10 percent off of any poll number for the snp 44 percent take 10% off of that from a lack of turnout, lack of motivation on the base. Scottish Conservatives, there's some challenging wards that are being defended um, that I was surprised the Conservatives won last time um, across Scotland, not just in Glasgow, but there have been some surprises. But, you know, incumbency factors, hard working uh, are, are been there. Alipa seeking to retain and register and the SNP well, trying to avoid too much of an embarrassment. If it becomes a rout, then that's pressure on the leadership as it gently moves towards the end of the, uh, the twilight of st perhaps the Sturgeon era of politics. There's not too many years left, I think, in, in with all of that. But local government, there we have, we were joined by Councillor Christopher McLenny um, of the Alpa Party and Councillor Ewan Blockley of the Scottish Conservative and Unionist Party. Um, giving their thoughts about the top issues as we march towards the local elections, which will be on in May. Please definitely vote, all of you who are listening. It's definitely probably the most important of all of the layers of elected office. I would say local government's the most important. It makes the biggest direct impact on your everyday life. Thank you for joining me, both of the guests, and we will get together after the election and pick everything apart and analyze the results. Thank you, gentlemen. <laughs>